Good morning, and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. Where does the Bible begin? Where does any good story begin? At the beginning, of course. For the Bible, it would seem most obvious that this beginning is the book of Genesis. After all, Genesis is the front of the book we have become familiar with. More than that, Genesis deals with the origins, as its very name implies. But simply because the pages are found in a certain order does not mean that the first ones we encounter necessarily came into being prior to those that follow. We might ask, what is the Bible's origins and its own understanding of those origins? It soon becomes apparent that we need to start by looking at the events that took place at Mount Sinai in the middle of the book of Exodus. Why, you might ask? Because none of the stories reported in the Torah as occurring prior to the Sinai event makes mention of or implies the presence of a divinely inspired written document. For instance, as important as he was to biblical history, Adam had no Torah, nor did Noah during all those years that he tried to hear a voice speaking of impending world destruction. Even Abraham, whose story is so central to the Torah's record of the Jewish people, was not guided by a collection of sacred writings to which he could turn for devotional reflection each morning. In clear, unambiguous testimony, the Torah's own internal evidence is the writing down of important ideas or history. This source book of revelatory insight began when the Israelites encountered God in a unique way at Mount Sinai. It was there, according to the pages of Exodus, that God and Moses collaborated to create written documents. Those writings would travel with the community that eventually became the nation of Israel. So it is imperative to understand more clearly what was taking place at Mount Sinai and why we celebrate that revelation at the holiday called Shavuot Pentecost. To do that, we need to know something about the broader history of the second millennium of the before the Common Era. One of the dominant civilizations of that era was the Hittite kingdom, somewhat secluded in the mountainous plateaus of eastern Perky. The Hittites shaped a web of international relations, which at the height of their power in the 14th century before the Common Era, encompassed most of the ancient Near East. Similar to the feudal system of the medieval period, the more powerful entity, the suzerain, would control foreign affairs, while weaker powers or vassals had limited domestic autonomy. In order to establish appropriate structures to spell out their ongoing interactions with subjected peoples, the Hittites developed a prescribed treaty form or covenant code that was widely used. What makes this bit of ancient historical trivia so intriguing for biblical scholars is the uncanny correspondence between the elements of the Hittite covenant code and the literature at the heart of the Israelites' encounter with God at Sinai. Let me share with you some examples. 
When God is first speaking from the rumbling mountain, the words are essentially the preamble of the suzerain vassal covenant. I am the Lord eternal, your God. Exodus 20, verse 1. Immediately following is a brief historical prologue reminding the people of the events that precipitated this encounter. I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, Exodus 20, verse 2. Then comes a recitation of stipulations that will shape the ethics, moralities, and lifestyle of the community, including the Ten Commandments, which functions as a summary of the whole experience, Exodus 20 through Exodus 23. Now, there is a striking resonance between the usual form of the Hittite suzerain vassal covenant and the essential first speech of God to Israel at Mount Sinai. In other words, the first biblical document were the written covenant documents formulating the relationship between a nation, Israel, and the divine ruler, God, who earned in battle with the Pharaoh of Egypt the right to order the world. This is why the covenant becomes an essential term for all the rest of the literature that will be garnered into the collection essentially known as Torah, Nevi'im and Ketubim, Tanakh. The Bible begins, the Torah begins with a covenant-making ceremony that produces certain documents and then continues to grow as further explications of that covenant relationship are generated. All of that is meant to share with you that the moment that God and Israel stood together at Sinai establishes one of the great religious relationships in the history of the world. God owned Israel through the covenant, but Israel also owned God, both in the very best ways of that term. Israel became God's partner in the divine mission to redeem and restore to full spiritual health all the nations of the earth. And God became Israel's partner in the struggles of life. This covenantal relationship is celebrated on the holiday of Shavuot. And I want to talk this morning in the time remaining a bit about Shavuot which, of course, is known to many people as Pentecost. But then I want to share with you some thoughts about um, Shavuot, which is 50 days after Passover, and Pentecost is celebrated almost 50 days after Easter. So let's start with a guide about Shavuot. Shavuot is the Hebrew word which is translated as weeks, but also translated in English as Pentecost. It was originally an agricultural holiday celebrating the first harvest brought to the temple in Jerusalem. Following the destruction of the Second Temple and the resulting exile in 70 AD, which raised the need to entrench Torah awareness, 
in order to avoid spiritual and physical oblivion, Shavuot became a historical religious holiday of the receiving of the Ten Commandments. And while the Torah played a key role in shaping the U.S. Constitution and North American culture, Shavuot is celebrated by decorating homes and houses of worship with land of Israel-related crops and flowers, demonstrating the 35-year-old connection between the land of Israel and the Torah of Israel and the people of Israel. Shavuot is the holiday of humility, as befits Torah values. Moses, the humblest of all human beings, as the Torah says, the humble Sinai desert and Mount Sinai, a modest, non-towering mountain, are all celebrated in this holiday. Shavuot a spiritual holiday of the receiving and accepting of the Ten Commandments, follows Passover, a national liberation holiday, from physical liberation, the Exodus, to spiritual liberation and enhancement, the receiving of the Torah, in preparation for the return to the ancient homeland of Israel. The holiday of Shavuot has... Seven names in Jewish tradition. It's called Hamishim, meaning the 50th, for it occurs 50 days after Passover. Katsir, the harvest festival. Zman Matan Torah, the giving of the Torah. Shavuot, the weeks. Bichorim, offerings. Atzeret, rally. Hakahel, an assembly. The Hebrew acronym of the seven names is Hukat Sheva, the constitution of the seven. Shavuot reflects the centrality of seven in the holiday and in Judaism in general. The Hebrew root of Shavuot is both the word seven, Sheva, which is also the root of Shavuah, vow, sova, saturation, satiation, and Shavuah, weeks. Shavuot is, as I've already stated, celebrated seven weeks following Passover. According to Jewish tradition, God employed seven earthly attributes to create the universe in addition to the three divine attributes. The Sabbath is the seventh day of creation and a seventh-day week. The first Hebrew verse in Genesis consists of seven words. The seven beneficiaries of the Sabbath, according to Kabbalistic tradition, are you, your son, daughter, your male and female servants, your livestock, and the stranger, which, of course, is identified in the fourth of the commandments. God, according to Kabbalah, created seven universes. The seventh hosts the pure soul, hence the seventh seven. There are seven basic human traits which individuals are supposed to resurrect, adopt in preparation for Shavuot. There are seven key Jewish universal leaders 
Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Aaron, Joseph, and David are commemorated as distinguished guests, Ushpazin in Hebrew, during the tabernacle Shavuot, during the Sukkot festival. There are seven qualities of the Torah. Seven generations passed from Abraham to Moses. There are seven species of the land of Israel, barley, wheat, grape, fig, pomegranate, olive, oil, olive and date and honey. In Hebrew, the number seven represents multiplication. Brides and grooms are blessed seven times following their wedding. There are seven major Jewish holidays, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, called Tabernacles in English, Hanukkah, Purim, Passover, and Shavuot. Seven directions are essential in Jewish thought and theology, north, south, east, west, up, down, and one's inside. And I could go on and on about the number seven and its importance. Shavuot is celebrated 50 days following Passover, the holiday of liberty. The Jubilee The cornerstone of liberty is celebrated every 50 years. Notice the number 50. Judaism highlights the constant challenge facing human beings, the choice between the 50 gates of wisdom, the Torah, and the 50 gates of impurity, biblical Egypt. The fifth gate of wisdom is the gate of deliverance. A couple of other things about Shavuot. Shavuot highlights the eternity of the Jewish people. Thus, the first and last Hebrew letters of Shavuot constitute the Hebrew name of the third and righteous son of Adam and Eve, Seth. The Hebrew meaning of Seth is to institute, to bestow upon. The Hebrew words for the bestowing of Torah at Mount Sinai is Matan Torah. So, Matan Torah and Shavuot is a derivative of the Hebrew word Shavuah, vow, referring to the exchange of vows between God and the Jewish people at Mount Sinai. Shavuot also highlights the scroll of Ruth, who lived three generations before King David, son of Jesse, grandson of Ovad, the son of Ruth. The scroll of Ruth is the first of the five biblical scrolls which are studied during the five holidays. Ruth on Shavuot, Song of Songs on Passover, Ecclesiastes on Sukkot, Lamentations on the Ninth of Av, and the scroll of Esther on Purim. Ruth, as you know, a Moabite princess and a role model of loyalty, gives us that wonderful quote, Your people are my people and your God is my God. I would tell you the rest of the story, but you know that it is from Ruth that we get the cradle of the house of David and Jewish history. According to Jewish tradition, Shavuot is the day of the birth and death of King David, the great-grandson of Ruth who unified the Jewish people, elevating them to a most high and powerful position. The David-Torah linkage demonstrates that physical and spiritual leadership are mutually inclusive as long as governments are driven by values 
And of course, you know that King David and his lineage would become part of the Jewish tradition regarding the Moshiach, the Messiah, that would eventually come. Now that I've shared with you some of the essential elements of uh, Shavuot, I want to make the transition for you to your holiday, Pentecost. You know, the word Pentecost is a transliteration of the Greek word Pentecostus, which means 50. And it comes from the ancient Christian expression, Pentecosta Hamera, which means 50th day. And you've already learned that the early Christians did not invent the phrase 50th day. Rather, they borrowed it from Greek-speaking Jews who used the phrase to refer to a Jewish holiday known as the Festival of Weeks or more simply Weeks. And you've already learned the Hebrew word for that, Shavuot. This name comes from the expression in Leviticus 23.16, which instructs the people to count seven weeks or 50 days from the end of Passover to the beginning of the next holiday. Yes, Pentecostes Hameres in the ancient Greek translation of the Hebrew scripture. Shavuot was the second great feast in Israel's yearly cycle of holy days. And after the exile, as I've already told you, it turned into a day to commemorate the giving of the law of Mount Sinai. And this day became especially significant for early Christians because seven weeks after the resurrection of Jesus during the Jewish celebration of Shavuot, Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, according to Christian tradition, was poured out upon his first followers, thus empowering them for their mission and gathering them together as a church. This event is recorded in the New Testament, known as the Act, New Testament books, known as the Act of Apostles. And chapter 2 begins, as many of you are aware, with the following. When the day of Pentecost, ten hameren tes Pentecost, had come, the first followers of Jesus were all together in one place. All of a sudden, sound came from heaven like a strong wind filling the house where the people had gathered. Something like tongues of fire rested on their heads, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them the ability to speak. The languages spoken by the early Christians were intelligible, not otherworldly, and were heard by thousands of Jewish pilgrims who had come to Jerusalem to celebrate Shavuot. The content of the miraculous messages had to do with God's mighty works. Many who heard these messages in their own languages were amazed. 
though others thought the Christians were simply celebrating. You can notice the similarities of images in the book of Acts of the Apostles to the events at Sinai. All of a sudden, sound came from the heaven. In Exodus, we're told it sounds like a shofar. Filling the houses where the people had gathered, like the exodus from Egypt. Tongues of fire rested on the heads of the people, like the lightning that we're told about at Sinai. And so besides the word Pentecost from the Greek, which talks about 50 days after, we have other similarities between the holiday of Shavuot and the holiday of Pentecost. The period of Passover to Shavuot for Jews and Easter to Pentecost for Christians exemplifies the similarities that mark our two faiths despite the very obvious differences. It ought also to evoke some daring theology that we might share together. Recounting our intertwined history is commonplace. Making theological sense of it is not. Suppose for a moment, however, that our shared history does have theological moment. And suppose as well that we took it seriously together. How might we transform mutual animosities of the past into faithful commitment to the future? Take these days of counting in which we now find ourselves, the Sifriaz, Jews call it, The Jews are now counting the 50 days from Passover to Shavuot. As you have already learned, the festival marks the giving of Torah. It was on Shavuot as well. Pentecost, as Greek-speaking Jews called it, that the disciples were visited by the Holy Spirit. So, if you want revelation, expect it 50 days after Passover. Both Jews and Christians knew that in the ancient days. There were differences, of course. For the early Christian fathers, these were days of supreme joy and expectation of the second coming. For the rabbis, these 50 days were eventually made into a period of mourning. But in their own distinctive ways, both faiths saw these 50 days as anticipating the purpose for which these faiths had come into being. The Jewish exodus from Egypt was a mere prologue to Sinai, and the Easter miracle culminated in the Pentecost gift of spirit. Now, there are two ways to narrate the tale of this commonality of vision. The most common version sees Christianity as branching off from rabbinic Judaism. In that scenario, the author of Acts deliberately borrowed the Jewish understanding of Shavuot as backdrop for his accounting of the Holy Spirit. But there is an alternative understanding that we might think about. We could see Judaism and Christianity as two parallel and two alternative interpretations of Hebrew Scripture rather than one preceding the other. Both Jews and Christians would trace their roots to the first and second century search for meaning 
in a common biblical heritage. In the past, we have each found it convenient to emphasize the first and mistaken scenario, the idea that Christianity broke away from rabbinic Judaism. Christians often then found fault with Jews for falling short of Judaism's intended fulfillment in Christ, they thought. And Jews could see Christians as going shamefully astray by misunderstanding what the Hebrew Bible is all about. You and I both know that history has not been kind to our relationship. Medieval theologies and the inequities in power have reinforced our sibling rivalries, virtually destroying the possibility of seeing ourselves as Christian religion, as sister religions with a common past now struggling in unison for a shared vision of a better world order. But the Middle Ages are just part of a much larger story, not just the centuries when we were at each other's throat, but our birth as twins in the womb of late antiquity and our nurture through infancy on a single set of sacred tales to the point of becoming virtual mirrors of each other. Passover is to Easter as Shavuot is to Pentecost, for example. History is not just the facts, but the storyline connecting them. Instead of thinking of ourselves as rivals in a zero-sum game, we might equally well devise a story that positions us together as potential allies. We might think of ourselves as a double helix of history, constantly swirling around each other through time, never getting close enough to lose our separate entities, but never flying off into totally independent orbits either. We are two religious traditions in dialogue from birth, each with our own language lessons and liturgy, but also interdependent parts of a larger entity, poised to work together now in joint pursuit of a better human destiny. The story we tell of who we are need not be dictated by the worst of what we were. These days that we both participate in as counting, these days of counting in which we both engage can be models of common hope and affirmation. Perhaps the world needs us now locked not in mutual combat, but in collaborative affirmation of divine purpose. We are indeed the end result of scientific facts, but history, our history, is the narrative that links the facts together, and there is more than a single narrative to tell. Among them is the theological tale of being a double helix in time with differently nuanced versions of a divine message guaranteeing human dignity and promise. As we count our days down to Shavuot and Pentecost, perhaps this year we can think of more than just a holiday. Perhaps we can think of more than just historical events that separate us. Perhaps this year we can use our 50 days to think of the essential messages that we are led to. Covenants with an eternal God. Covenants with the source of blessings. 
covenants with that which will bless our lives. This is Rabbi Stephen Garten for Jewish Faith and Facts, wishing you shalom and have a good day. Yeah.